Hello and welcome to episode 136 of Just Keep Writing. A podcast for writers. By writers. To keep you writing. I'm Marshall. I'm Nick. I'm Gabe. I'm LP. And I'm Will. All right, so before we get into uh, what this little series of episodes is going to be, um, I want to welcome Gabe to uh, from the East Coast crew. The, he's been doing the episodes with some a couple of other, uh, LP and Nick and Will. Um covering refuse to be done and welcome gabe uh it's awesome to have you again you've been on the show before but of course welcome back how you doing thank you it's awesome to be here sweet dude all right so here's what we're gonna do um lp came up with this pretty cool idea for a series and i'm gonna try to sum it up a little bit um since i'm kind of driving this episode but i'm gonna toss it to him to add a couple things um but really what we want to do in the next in this little series of episodes is talk about um creative research and lp probably has a better way of saying it but to me when he explained it to me it sounds like personal works that inform our writing why we do this thing when why we do this thing the way that we do it um and it has to go it has to do with works that we've consumed in the past and that still kind of inform our work um how's that sound lp yeah that's good i mean uh, just to add on just like the idea yeah, that like you know, I think a lot of conversations we have are about canon and like this is in the canon versus that is outside the canon. But I think that as readers and writers, we all have very specific things that like resonate with us, that got us writing, that got us thinking about literature, that got us into reading. Um, and I feel like for me personally, like there was like things that got me into reading, things that got me into writing. And like those are two separate conversations. But um, all in all, it's like once you get to a certain point in your writing life, you can take a look back at the things that got you into doing something and like try to figure out like the DNA of yourself as a creator um, or, you know, try to assimilate more of that DNA into you. And that's, that's kind of what this conversation is. I love it. And honestly, I'm the way I'm structuring this is I've got a, a question that's going to kind of precede each one of your guys's choices. Um, Nick and LP tonight are going to each go through four of these works that we mentioned um, that have informed their, their, their process, their reading, their writing. And um, I think what LP said works perfectly because I think the questions I have um, will start those conversations. So I think this is going to be awesome. Um, so I want to do this a little bit differently though. I don't want one person to talk for half the episode and one person to talk for the rest of the episode. So what I want to do is have, I'm going to throw a question out there. I'm going to start with LP first, then go to Nick. And then I'm going to kind of, flip flop it back and forth. Um, you feel free to the questions I, I have are kind of building on each other. Uh, but within each question, I want you to identify one of the works um, around that question and then add anything else that you guys uh, that comes up as you think about these works. Does that make sense? Yeah. And of course the other guys can chime in with whatever questions they want. But um, like I said, tonight we're focusing on Nick and LP um, and then we'll come back around to the other hosts uh, in the rest of the series. I'm excited to see what you guys come up with. So let's start off with, oh, and the last thing I want to say is all the works that they talk about are going to be linked in the show notes. So um, if you're interested and if you've never heard of some of this stuff or you want to revisit some of it, um, you can go out and buy it, read it, however you want to do it. So LP, I want to start with your first, the first work on your list. Okay. Um, and the same question is going to go to Nick. So I don't care which work you choose. I'm going to ask the question. You can pick one, but yeah. so starting with the first work that you pick, why are you drawn to this work in the first place? And why did it make the list at all? Yeah. Um, 
This was given to me by a friend who was uh, uh, by a friend who was uh, an English major, and he was just like, "I just love it. I just love John Ritchie," and I hadn't read any. Uh, as y'all know, I read mostly, spe- most, mostly speculative fiction, so it was actually kind of surprising that all my picks were uh, uh, mimetic. Um, and so this book has a hold on me in two ways, in three ways. Uh, What's the, the name first, of the book again? Sorry, The Miraculous Day of Amalia Gomez by John Ritchie. Perfect. And John Ritchie is a queer Chicane writer uh, from uh, L.A. Um so on the first part, there's a there's a purely emotional level of like reading this book and getting engrossed in it and feeling like uh, I'm taking on this ride. And the the the, the book takes course over the, the the span of a day uh, in this woman's life, uh, and you get to spend some time with like the fallacies that allow her life to go on and watch people interact with her and you know her Delulu. Um, but it, it's actually a little Don Quixote, but not quite. Uh, so that's the first part. The second part is uh, it's a book that I reread when I moved to Los Angeles. And when I got here in 06, um, a good amount of the L.A. in this book was still the L.A. that was in the city, which I think it's like I got here 10 or 15 years later. So that was kind of interesting because I was like able to like match. And so it's kind of this touchstone. Uh, the third part is um, on a storytelling level, it it's I call it recursion, and I know that in a in a narratology sense, that's that word is used for something else. So help me come up with a new word. But there's a way in which we tell stories where I'm from, where you start telling a story and you get to a person who is important to the story from that point forward, but the person listening to the story, the audience doesn't know why. So instead of like moving forward, you actually go back and have a whole conversation. And it's not a flashback, it's kind of like a nested story, like a Russian doll. Um, but once you come back to the present, you have all this context that informs maybe interactions you had with this person in the past in in the narrative in the past of the narrative versus like the historic past. And so it it it, it builds on itself with these nested stories. And I was like, huh. And I've been thinking about that as a way that like people tell stories in the project that projects that I'm from. And I was like, yeah. I, I've actually read that in a book and I hadn't thought about it until I started thinking about what are the books that built me. Huh. Awesome. Nick? Don't answer too many questions. <laughs> no, no, you're, you're fine. Uh, Nick, same question to you. So why pick one of the works? Why is it on your list at all? Um, what does it mean to you? Um, and then I kind of want to circle back around to um, at some point to some of these and talk about, well, I have writing more writing specific questions with some of these, and you can always come back to these works if you don't touch on it now. So, um, so don't stress about that. Nick, what do you think? Which one are you going to go with? This is, uh, this is interesting. I literally just realized something about all four books and I'll, I'll explain that later. Um, but I'm, I'm going to start with the sword of Shannara. Um, the sword of Shannara is, probably my first experience in epic fantasy hmm. um it was uh, and so sword of shannara is by terry brooks uh it's linked below um prolific writer it has i've read multiple books out of this series um because there's some standalone duologies and, and trilogies there but for me this was like the first hard 
entry into what I've been searching for my entire reading career up to that point in high school. And it was actually a suggestion of my mom because she loved the book when she, when it first came out and I ignored it for years and finally got around to it. Um, and it was everything that I wanted. Um, I couldn't find a fantasy book at all at the time. You know, you know, I, I think I was like, Ooh, but the f- like freshman in high school hmm. when I found it, maybe even middle school. Um, but I just remember reading it for the first time and just being blown away about a world that I saw for the first time that I had only ever imagined through like through my own imagination and my own like thoughts after seeing an inspiration on a picture, a comic that I didn't have or like through video games and things like that. So that that was like my gateway into fantasy into, oh, I'm not crazy. People actually write about this stuff like. These are worlds that live. Um, it's interesting to hear Nick talk about the sort of Shannara. Um, because I love when you think about like what either gravitated you towards as a reader and then maybe then still affects you as a, a writer. Like your formative years, sometimes when you first start reading, really um, has a big impact on the rest of either your reading journey as a reader or your writing journey. And with Nick, I can see how it is both his reading and his writing. And also, I have I love Terry Brooks, but what's interesting to me is The Sword of Shannara is also, in my opinion, his worst written book. Mm. And I, the reason I say that is, be, and I think that's a good thing. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, what I love about Terry is he, and he talks about this a lot um that he really did get better as he got older you know as he progressed as a writer and he's really tried different formats within speaking in that genre so i think sometimes when you look at terry's career and where he started and where he's going it's just really interesting um to hear nick talk about that book with such fondness which most of his fans do i'm probably in the minority as far as people think that well and i I actually had tried picking up the sword of shannara several times and ended up putting it down i was reading Mm -hmm. a bunch of other fantasy at the time and i was just like it just wasn't but again sometimes it depends on when you discover something um and 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 when something comes across your into your life that you didn't expect and you hold on to it. So it doesn't matter how well written it is. It doesn't matter anything. And like for me, I, it didn't vibe with me in the same way that other fantasy stuff I was reading did, but um, I can totally see where Nick's coming from. But again, it didn't come at the right time for me. I was already reading a ton of other fantasy at the time. So, you know, I think too, and then we'll go to Nick. Um, I always tell people like when everyone's usually shocked that I like Terry Brooks, but I think that is not the book to start off with with his <laughs> at all. I think I actually started off with like um, running uh, with the demon, you know, mm-hmm. his word and void books. And then it was, that wasn't even the first Shannara book I read. I read um, the jewel of uh, the, I forget which one I'll talk about it later, but it was like one of that. He was already in like book eight of the series, which is great. Cause it's generational. You can read. So, right. you know, go ahead, Nick. I'm sorry. Yeah, stealing my thunder a little bit here uh, and crashing my favorite 
first no one's, fantasy no one's book. Trashing it, Nick. It's okay. <laughs> Look, I'm actually gonna agree. Like, I do think as as he gets further along in his career, the storytelling gets better, the worlds get better, and things like that. In fact, I did the first three books back to back to back. The Sword of Shannara, the Elf Sons of Shannara, and the Wish Song of Shannara. And then I jumped into the the Voyage of Drool Shannara, who was, I believe, the first Elf King. And that right there, and we want to talk about like writing journey and inspiration. That's another one that I could throw into this where in choosing four books, Marshall was really hard, by the way. LP's choice. It was LP's choice. LP. It was hard to choose just four books because I look at my my reading career and, and my writing career, and it's like there's moments where a certain book may or may not hold up to time and not be great, and I have one on here. Um, but at that time, it was a launching point for me. And Terry Brooks has done that a few times, but you know, I went with Sword of Shannara. Like it, it was my first fantasy, and and. LP brought it up in the comments. It's it's what you need at the time in, in some of these. And that's why this one is first for me is because at the time, at that young age, I was craving this. I didn't know it existed. And like yeah, and it was I, the perfect fit at the time. And I agree. And I think, and um, Gabe, I'll jump to you in a second, but but I'm that's why I think this, which is why I'm thankful that we're talking about this stuff is because I think as we throw out stuff out there, we're going to remember other things in the course of the conversation as I throw out my books and Brent and will, and we're going to have Gabe do the same thing. He just know yet. Um, Gabe, go ahead. So yeah, what you're, I mean, what you're saying, Nick, about that, even if they don't hold up to like today's standards, both from a writer's perspective and like maybe even sensibilities perspective, there's always, and I've heard this so many with so many people, both readers and writers that there's a book that like just broke the dam of like, oh my God, like the possibilities of mm. all the things now. And for me, that I mean, with Aragon, that was for me. That was the book that forced me to read in English because mm. I read the first one in Spanish and the second one hadn't come out in Spanish yet in Mexico. And I was, I just need to consume this right now. Like my whole life became getting my hands on that book. Mm. And a similar story, I've heard it so many times. So yeah, it it makes perfect sense how even if it doesn't hold up, it still jump started your interest in like it showed you what literally what was possible in this genre. So yeah, makes perfect sense. Nice. All right. Uh, keeping that question in mind, we're going to go to your second choices. Okay. Uh, but I'm going to build on it. So obviously you can continue um, talking about why you picked it the first place. That's going to be a constant, I think with this whole thing. But uh, for this next book, and maybe this will inform which one you say, um, is there a specific craft element that you admire and or use in your writing because you read this book? And Nick, you're first. Yeah. So this is my book where I think, I mean, the book's fine. I think the author's a terrible person now. Um, but oh, Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card. Oh yeah. <laughs> like look, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be honest. Like I grew up in an LDS community and we hailed him as a great author, and then come to find out he treats the soul of my friends like shit. So, you know, Ender's game's on here. Um and so all, all and I'll I'll say this now, all four of my books are actually moments which change my reflection of death and killing. Hmm. So 
and we'll get it. Uh, we'll be able to get into that a little bit later. But Ender's Game is one where I'm realizing it now um, that but the book that I've finished that I'm revising right now is similar to Ender Game, where it is a young protagonist, but it's an adult fiction. It is not a YA. Um, and so that's something craft wise where I subconsciously have done. And now thinking with that and looking at that, when you ask that question, I'm like, oh shit, I gravitate to this stuff a lot where it's a young protagonist who's, you know, 14 to 17 going through adult level stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think deep down, like that's who I wanted to be when I was that age is, is the hero, the, the guy that goes in the saves the day that has to do something unsurmountable for, for their age and skill set. Because I, frankly, I feel like I lived a boring life and, you know, I was always trying to escape reality through, through reading and stuff like that. Um, but the Ender's game, you know, that, that was so impactful for me. And the part where any spoiler warning, I guess, Ender's game has been out for a few decades now. Decades, you're fine. <laughs> but <laughs> it was a movie like it, oh, a decade ago too. So who knows? I know. Right. <laughs> the end of Ender's game. I was like, loving Ender's Game. I was loving the conflict and the character development. It's the end of it where Ender realizes he just wiped out an entire species and now wants to fix it. And the following two books are about rectifying that the consequences of what they did brought back such a human element into death for me that it it rattled me. And, and, you know, I'm in high school at the time. It, it rattled me like that choice, which is why I think it's such a great book, that choice in, in that character. And in, this is like the last like two or three chapters, you know, it, it, it does this big twist and you're like, damn. And then you realize like this character who's gone through so much BS that kids should not go through gains their humanity back in that moment. And so there's a lot to unpack there and don't have time for all that right now. Um, but that's that's why it's on my list right now. And, and that's something I take from the book is is kind of in, in my writing style and, and what I've done recently. Nice. OP, what's your other choice? Okay, here's where it gets complicated. Oh uh, so this is less of a book and more of... Okay, so I can't decide between these two books. And the reason that I said four is because you can use one to study in a quarter versus like, let's do all the books that I love in a year. Or, you know, because, you know, there's time to grow. There's time to grow. Anyway, so uh, the author is Chuck Palahniuk. And um, the books are Fight Club and Invisible Monsters. Um in all of the books that I've read by him, and I think I've read uh, three, uh, Fight Club, Invisible Monsters, and Choke, um, he has this way of describing the world and the visceral nature that makes uh, that, that makes you genuinely cringe. <laughs> sure. And like, yeah. I like to kind of weave some of that in as well as like some very like subtle moments of like, uh, like he, he he goes for the viscera <laughs> and sometimes I'm like, yes, viscera, but I also like to pull back and like do soft caresses. Like you've never seen a sex scene in one of my stories, which I'm still trying to figure out why. Um, but like 
in both those books, like it, it, it leads to like a, a, a quandary. So like in Fight Club, it's like Chuck Palahniuk is a gay man. And so while like when I, in the 90s and 2000s, when people were like, oh my God, Fight Club, man, the fucking rules of Fight Club. You don't tell, tell anyone about Fight Club. And I was like, it's actually like a gay man critiquing toxic masculinity while like <laughs> not actually being allowed to participate in toxic masculinity. And people saw the movie and missed the entire point. Um, but like that resonates with me. And then Invisible Monsters, uh, is a book about, uh, people involved in the industries of beauty, uh, not being allowed to participate in the industries of beauty or choosing not to be. And I was like, in, in a lot of ways, it feels like what it's like for me to be a black man, uh, uh, of a particular flavor in a gay space where like the spaces aren't made for me. So I'm able to watch this thing exist and happen and understand it, but like not necessarily able to participate in, in a lot of qualifiable ways. So like both of those books do this thing philosophically while also like explaining that what the inside of like a stomach wound smells like. The answer is shit. I think it's really interesting. The author choices you guys just put up against each other. Um, but Will's going to say some. Go ahead. Well, I have a question for LP. Then thinking of Chuck, like, how do you think those two books have really influenced you as a writer? Is it the conversations that you're, you want to have? Like, because uh, I know me and you privately talk about, like, who do we want our books to be in conversation with as, like, mm-hmm. an author in our life? So do you feel like Chuck is one of them? Or do you feel like it touches upon themes that you want to carry even further? I think, I think thematically what he does is like, I think there's a low level of this. I think there's a low brow aspect of this that like is the way that I read these books the first time, which is like, you know, I'm reading everything very surfacey and like, oh my God, this is such a fucking ride. But when you, when I was able to zoom out, I was like, oh, this is a critique of that. Or this is a critique of this. And I was like, huh, that's super interesting. So, and and I'm going through this right now with one of the novellas that I'm conceiving because the more of it that I get down and the more that I have to describe about it, the more I'm realizing like thematically it's doing much more than I ever intended. Like I don't necessarily pick up a pen or come to the keyboard with an idea about theme. They just kind of develop. Um, And so... I don't know. I think, I think thematically his, I'm trying, I think I'm chasing theme in a similar way that, that he succeeds. Nice. That actually helps answer my question about what we, what you pull from that specific author into your work. I think that's awesome. Anybody have have any, say it again. Yeah. You just have to ask me twice and I might get to the answer. No, you're good. I was about to ask you. Will did it. It is perfect. I love it. Um, so I love Chuck. I pronounce his last name differently. I've actually met him. Um, I have, I've told you guys that story before. It was really interesting meeting him, but um, it's always interesting meeting authors you really, really like. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. We know. <laughs> yep. God, we have some good stories about authors we've met. Don't we guys? <laughs> we do. We do. <laughs> All right. Anyway, um, let's move on from that. Um, my next set of questions, I'm going to start with LP this time. Um, and you're going to pick, your next work um and maybe you'll pick one depending on how i ask this question but um 
is there something in particular about the author themselves? And I'm glad I asked this after you guys talked about Orson Scott Card. Um, is there something specific about this author that keeps you either coming back to their work or that continues to inform your work and why it's on this list? Yeah. Okay, you're first. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, my first James Baldwin book was Giovanni's Room, which left me destroyed, wrecked, fucked, finished. Um, but the next book that I read was Go Tell It on the Mountain. And I, I don't know, something about reading that book in that moment just felt like this is the point in time in which queerness is like uh, tantamount to communism. And so like there were reasons that you couldn't have conversations about being queer. Um, and I feel like I talk, I feel like a few of us talk about this sometimes, how the queer community can look very white or like it's, it's geared toward white people in a lot of very real ways. What I loved about this book at the time I had queer black peers but I'd never read anything about the experience of being queer and black and how how people know and like there's nothing you can do about it. Like you you know, you're not in a space where you are salivating after boys, but people know before you do, and they let you know that they know, and um, you have to deal with their fears and their. Uh, about who you'll become and what you'll be. And, you know, in a lot of cases, you're just kind of living your life and you don't necessarily get a chance to do that. And I just thought it was, and add on to all that, like no one makes a sentence work like James Baldwin. Mm. Um, uh, on a prose level, the the book is fantastic. On a like structural level, level, the book is fantastic. But like the way that it just made me feel I talk sometimes about like feeling like I'm not seen, but it's rare to read a book that I feel is like looking at me, seen at inactive, looked at like someone's doing work, you know? So seen is like, oh, while looking down the lineup, somebody didn't pass me up. <laughs> looked at is like, I'm staring you in the eye. I'm looking at your forehead and waiting for your third eye to open. Will, you got a comment? Yeah. Um, I'm glad you, I mean, I'm going to talk about James Baldwin when I go, but I, there's so many wonderful things to love about James Baldwin. Um, like when I think of my personal heroes, like he is my first one mm -hmm. because he especially lived at a time um, where being gay just wasn't allowed and he was out and proud and he supported his family um, and they loved him, you know, and I think he is such a, an amazing writer. And what I love that LP said, that's one of his like core books is I personally LP think you can see it in the musicality of how you write. Because I think I think you write really beautifully and I think you write with great prose and it reminds me a lot of Baldwin. Um, so I can totally see why that is on a craft level, why he's your anchor. I don't feel that on a craft level you see that with me, um, but I do – I don't know how anyone could not read his work 
even today and be deeply, profoundly moved because he has, he is even for today so far beyond of how people think and what he sees as uh, being a human being. Um, I think is everyone needs to go out and read everything and watch him speak. If you ever get a chance to like see old videos, because he did not hold back. He always spoke truth to power. And that's what I feel like you do in your writings. LP. Damn. Um, do you want to say any of that out loud LP in response or should I just go to Gabe? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the nature of influence. Like, we love what we love, and we emulate what we emulate, and we have little passive control over what we take with us. Uh, You know, like, so if the conversation is you'd like to hear more of James Baldwin in your writing, it's a conversation like, okay, cool. What kind of energy are you going to put into studying that? Um, I don't, I can't say that I've read enough Baldwin to... To say that I'm like, oh, this is obviously a part of my my writing DNA, but I love that you see that because that's what yeah. it's for. Like, and, and yeah, you have people who who see you that they can tell you the things that you can't see about yourself. I don't think you have to have, have read everything by an author to pick up what you love about them and emulate it and have it influence your writing in some way. I I mean, I agree. I've only read two books. That's all I'm saying. Oh no, we hear you. Uh, I mean, I, th- I, I think, okay. um, I'm sorry, I'm going to go real quick game. I think Marshall's right in that. You don't have to read every book. I think you have to read a book that is, um, profoundly touches you and you can absorb it just that way. Go ahead, Gabe. I'm sorry. So no, no, I, I mean like a small segue to this. I wanted to ask you guys about like you, like you just said, I'll like these things like seep into your, into your psyche, into the way you even as Will said about ULP, about the way you write, even if you don't notice it. But on the other side of the spectrum, like how much do you go back to these books, not these ones in particular, but maybe other books to actually pick them apart and analyze them on maybe on a technical level for any, I don't know, even like the pros, just the pros or themes or whatever, like how much do you go back to books that's in general? So that's the plan for this year. That's to to go back and 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 spend a couple of months on taking these books apart to see how they work and seeing if I can put them back together again. Mm-hmm. But like, but I mean, like part of your own process, like how how much do you do this, if if at all? I mean, up through now, not really, not not really at all. But like, there's a version of it where like. I've been I'm looking at these conversations about going back to school and I have to question like how much of these things can I learn by myself um, and how much how much can I put into I feel like I've talked about this a little bit but not a lot but like I think that like art is practice plus process and product mm-hmm. is the is the is the is the sum and so like product is going to come as long as you have a practice that works and as long as you have a process that works so part of it for me has been trying to figure out, okay, what do I want to actively include in my process? Like where, where do I want to, uh, how do I engage my curiosity in a way that is going to be useful? And it's not going to be binge, binge watching Netflix. I figured that part out. Thank you. 2023. (laughs) Uh, and so again, so one of the conversations for me is like, okay, so I need to take some of these things apart and like get good, at taking a, we were we were having a conversation in a group chat the other day about Spider Man across the universe, 
no spoilers, Marshall hasn't seen it. Uh, and uh, it just clicked to me because I've been trying to break it down into like act structures or like free text pyramid. But once I took it apart and just said, these are sequences and look at the sequences on their own and they're doing different things, but they, it, it didn't have to fit into anything to work or to be good. It just had to be a story that, that, that each of the sequences worked on their own and then they worked as a, as a, as a group. Um, and, you know, that was a good thing for me because I'm like, okay, I'm going to apply that to the way that I look at these books as well. Cause it's not about like, what would, what would a, what would, what, what would an instructor say about this book? It's like, no, what are you getting from it? What do you see from it? How do you, how can you take it apart? How can you put it back together? Well, and I know the question probably wasn't necessarily directed at me, but I kind of been thinking about the question you just asked Gabe and how often do we go back to to stuff that we love for some reason, like if it was going to make this list, I don't, I have a hard time going back to books at all because there's so much I want to read, but I'm also an English teacher and there's a Mm -hmm. reason I teach certain books. And so I feel like those are the books that I am trying to get out there in front of students that I have revisited. I mean, I've read some books, uh, you know, a dozen or more times because I'm reading it along with the kids or I'm pointing out passages mm-hmm. or I'm picking things apart. So I, I don't know. I think that's, I think that's a really interesting. It got me thinking, Gabe, I'm glad you're here, man. Um, <laughs> so I'm, like, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're able to use your students uh, to do your creative research. It's really, yeah. really nice. I'm, I'm happy. For yeah, you. no, it's, it's, it's quite helpful. Honestly, <laughs> I just realized I'm doing it, but yeah, it's quite yeah. helpful. <laughs> um, so Nick, you still got your third one on the list and the question um, that kind of got buried, but we talked about uh, quite a bit with OP is, um, is there something about this particular author um, that you're about to talk about that informs your work? Um, I, there's a good chance I say no on this one, but maybe not. So I will say Terry Brooks. Yes. Or okay. Scott card. No, um, I don't, I won't read anything else of his, so Terry Brooks, I'm, I'm actually going to jump back into the Shannara series um, with Terry to kind of get back to that. So informing of my work, uh, and this is just going to go like, what is fun for me to write? What is it that I actually want to write about and not care? And what's for me? I got to go R.A. Salvatore and the Legend of Drift series. Like, this is another staple in the fantasy realm for me. I love this it's it's D fantasy and things like that um where you don't have to be into D to, to read it and understand it it's so multifaceted and things like that and and the biggest thing why it's so popular like it tackles racism head on um which not a lot of people were doing at that time um but i just really like it it's i mean it's it's sword and sorcery at the finest it's just a fun read there's Again, another book that I look at death differently because of this series. Um, it changed my viewpoint on death, you know, where it was, it should be more respectful. Like you don't kill just to kill. Like there's no pride and joy in that. And it, it, you lose your humanity if you do. Um, and, and Ari Salvatore sets this up with the perfect antithesis of Dritz being a bad guy for so long in Artem Centrary. Um, you know, they're just opposites of who they are and what honor means and things like that, um, which is really good. But th- for me, that's like the staple of fantasy, like having that main character with that moral ground 
that has to come into question based on what they're doing and the choices that they have to make. Um, and, and I think Dritz is so influential on my characters for that reason. I don't know. I, I'm with you hundred percent. I know Will probably has something to say about Ari Salvatore as well. Um, and one of the reasons why I wasn't reading sort of Shannara was because I was, I had so many Driss books to read. I was reading Dragonlance. I was, you know what I mean? Like, and those are the influences. Um, and then when you kind of dive into the author behind it, Ari Salvatore um, seems like a good dude. If I'm being honest, um, I met him one time and it was kind of like that moment that uh, we tease about in our little group sometimes about how, when you meet an author and you're like, Oh my God, what the hell am I going to say? Um, but I stood there and he chatted with me for like 10 minutes. I was first in line pacing awkwardly for an hour waiting for him to show up at an offset event in San Diego, uh, Comic-Con. It was like one of the most, I tell the story because it was awkward and stupid and I was like a grown man, but like I had been reading his books for what? <laughs> I mean, 15 plus years. years. And I'm like, I want to meet this guy. And, and we talked and it was awesome. And, but I'm with Nick at the same time. Like I never thought for a second when I first met Artemis and Trieri that there was going to be any sort of redemption arc whatsoever. That was a massive, that was a big influence on how I write characters now, honestly. And Ari Salvatore will be on my list, I'm sure. But anyway, sorry, Will. I went on a rant. No, I'm interested to hear though, Nick, when you said Ari Salvatore um, deals with racism head on. Did you feel that when you were reading it? And did you feel, or when you've talked to other I'm going to be blunt, white people who read that, that it was becoming uh, political or in their face. Yeah. So I, the, I mean, the easy answer is, yeah, I felt that right away, but also 15, 16, 17 year old me was super jealous that the only guy I had to identify in that series was the big ass Viking with the hammer. Um, <laughs> You know what I mean? Which, by the way, one of my favorite characters. Wolfgar, really? Wolfgar. That was had to, yeah, that makes sense. Well, yeah, actually. Wolfgar was awesome. And it was like at the time I wasn't really into the dwarfish culture, but Brunor's great too. But but do you have like Dritz, a lot of hammers or something at home? Like No, I don't. But that's the thing, is like Dritz is the main character. And, and some background on this. Dritz is what they call a dark elf. He's black of skin and everything like that, white of hair, and he his the dark elves are known for being these barbaric assassins that kill for pleasure. He lives on the surface world. The rest live in the underworld. And so when he's on the surface world, everywhere he goes, no one trusts him. No one likes him. Everyone has him. He has a small clique of friends that accept him, but wherever he goes, he is treated differently based on the color of the skin and the projections that they have of his race. That is at the center of everything. And for me at the time, it was definitely of like, I never know, like, I'll never know how this lives. But to answer the second part of your question, I didn't talk to anybody about these books because no one else was reading them. Mm -hmm. I didn't know anybody else. Yep. So I, I, it existed in my world all alone. And my dad had read them. But we never sat down and formally talked about it. We talked about how badass Dritz was. We didn't talk about the societal issues that came into it. And I think a lot of that does bleed into my fantasy writing as well is, is something I like to tackle is societal issues 
that drive the main character to do things they don't want to do, but they have to. Will, you smacked your lips at me. Yeah, because I understand what Bob was trying to do in those books, because I did read the first one, and they are really good. They are really who, fun to who, read. Who's Bob? All right, Salvatore. Um, so I would say this, though. I understand what uh, he was trying to do. Um, but I think it was very bluntly a white man trying to write about racism that doesn't that at the time, cause you know, Bob was young when he was writing this too. I don't think it really um, had the depth that it needs to have to be nuanced, you know, and you guys can, you guys can um, talk. We should have a discussion over it all. I do I, love though. I do love though that that was like your first experience of like reading a fantasy novel that kind of you felt like you could correlate it with worlds. Well, and that's what I was going to kind of bring it back to and not cut you off a little bit. I, I think there is yeah. a larger discussion to have about mm-hmm. his works, what they did, and and whether it's problematic or not. But going uh, going back to like this was a moment for me where like I got to see it in a fantasy world and understand it outside the context of politics that were fed to me from another source that I wasn't fair. So yeah. for 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 me, like this this is a canon event where it is like, oh shit, I don't understand it. I don't understand how Dritz is ever gonna live. I'm never gonna walk down the streets like as a white person in well at the time where I live, like there's parts of towns I could have, but you know, I I didn't have to worry about being judged based on the color of my skin. Okay, yeah, I'll be misuse of canon event. I'm sorry. I apologize. It I'm was gonna, a turning point for me in life. But if, but if you think about it, like me and Nick, let's say, I mean, I'm a little older than him. Let's say we were reading these at the same time. He's feeling something completely different than I'm feeling. Right. But at the same mm-hmm. time, if you think about the constraints that Bob or Ari Salvatore was writing in, right. He was writing within the D and D fantasy world, right. Fantasies always dealt with racism and I hate this race because of this and these two races hate each other, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But what I liked about what he was doing mostly because it was a black skin character in my hands in a fantasy world, regardless of whether it was a quote unquote black man dealing with the police, it's Drist walking to a town and not being able to get in and all his friends can, you know what I'm saying? For sure. For sure. Oh. We're going to have to can a worm. We're going to have to, we're going to have yeah. to, we're, we're going to run out of time. We're going to have to stop this part of the conversation to finish this, this episode, but we're going to come back to, to, to old Bob at some point, I'm sure, because I think I'm going to end up mentioning him as well, but Bye. I'm going to give, I'm going to give LP another thing to say, and then Nick can round out and then I'll go to the last one. Uh, yeah. It's interesting. Cause what you guys are talking about is like uh, racism in in books like <laughs> that's like intentional and racism in books that's like uh, an outgrowth of inherent bias. <laughs> so it's like, oh, you know, we don't like these. We don't like these elves. They're black. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because black elves are bad, obviously, versus like putting the story in the mouth of a black elf. Not to know that the black elf did a good job of like representing 
the thing, but it's, it's, it's also interesting because, you know, fantasy has a tendency to like create entirely new people to experience this form of discrimination. Well, Star but Trek did it. I mean, you know, this <laughs> is gonna, like, we're going to make something up. <laughs> I, mean, the, we, I mean, look, when Captain Kirk and them land on a planet, what, what's that episode where they land on the planet and there's like literally the people split down the middle and they didn't like the people, like they were black on one side and white on the other, but they didn't like the people that were, black on the opposite side of them or something it's like it's kind of in, in my head it's kind of the same you invent these things to deal with these these things in a fantasy sci-fi conversation i don't know go ahead lp sorry that was an accident i was trying to okay. meet myself i think there's another conversation that we can have but i just want to bring it back to the influence and impact that it had on me and the conversations i was wanting to have because of it okay so this will lead into my last question then. And this will help you guys put forth your last work and we should get done on time. Theoretically, unless we go on a rant again. Um, my last question for you guys around your work is what specific work or works of your own right now wouldn't exist or be completely different if you had never, never encountered this particular book. I don't like this question. I, I can either skip it. Cause you're first. No. Or I can do a different <laughs> question. Why don't you? You don't like the question because it sucks, or you don't like the question because you don't want the answer. You don't hard. have an answer. It's I don't like book. the book I have for it. <laughs> oh, okay. I see what you're saying. But here's the thing: like I chose this book not knowing what questions you were going to ask and things like that. Right. So which is on purpose. Um, I know. So my fourth book that is that really really like hit with me. Um. Oh, and I got to make sure that I get the name right. It's Arsenic and Adobo. Uh, yeah, by Mia P. Manasala. Um, this is such a good mystery, like kind of cozy mystery style book um, with, a, uh, with a lot of feel Filipino culture mixed into it as well. I like I like mysteries. This one hit really hard because it was a genre blend to me. Um, so we studied this during our MFA program at Western Colorado University uh, with Fran Wild, and for me, like this book is not just a mystery. There's a romance to it as well, and there's a little bit of contemporary fantasy in there. Um, with some of the mythology and, and things like that, that comes into it. And I felt like it was just a really good blend of a few different genres that come together quite neatly. That's something that I want to take forward. And like, before I go down this vein, like what was the original question before I go off on a tangent and look, rant? we don't have to answer that particular question. I want you to no, think no, about I that question. No, no. The Ask idea is again. like, I, I, I think when I, the original idea behind this question is, if you had never read this thing, how would your writing be different now? Do you know what I'm saying? Like if you had never had this influence, yeah. Yeah. what would so, you be, like, what would you be lacking basically? Genre blending, like period. I wouldn't have like tried to mix genres as much because uh, from this book, like, so I wrote a fantasy book, but my fantasy book is dealing with how society handles orphans and views what they're good for and how to use them and, and their impact on society. Um, I feel like that is not a fantasy element to deal with. 
you know, and so for me, I feel like I'm bringing in like a contemporary novel into a fantasy world, into a fantasy setting and telling a story from there. Um, obviously, there's a lot of fantasy elements to it, but I think the basis of that book wouldn't exist as it does now. And how my revision is going to go to strengthen that storyline without having read this. Because I bring in some mystery elements too, but it's the genre blending that really like stood out to me with this book. Nice. Uh, LP, choose to answer the question or not. It's okay. My feelings won't be hurt. But I'm, okay. I, I, I'm, I'm ready for you, Daddy. All right. All right. You got this. Yeah. Okay. So the last book in this list uh, was probably the one that I encountered as a book the latest, but I, I'd seen the movie before. Uh, and it's The Color Purple by Alice Walker. And I think this is true for all the books that I'm that I'm using. Um, in 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 different ways, they all have a very um, knife like relationship to the truth. Uh, there's there's an honesty that I think is really. Uh, I, I think that a lot of times when we're writing books and like reading books, there's an expect. As, expectation of adornment and like perfection or like done rightness and you know the book starts with people speaking in English that's broken because it's the level at which the person reads so it's the level at which the person writes and so there's a level of authenticity that exists in the feelings that the characters are having that that I try to tap into like, and I obviously I use other things uh, in my stories, but I think the thing that I come back to most frequently is like ensuring that like, if I'm working on a piece, I'll write it until it feels like the characters aren't being true. And then I'll stop (laughs) and I'll go do something else. And my next draft will start with me starting at the beginning with a second document and typing and typing again until the characters are true again. Like where they went left, I'm going to make them go right. And the point at which the character stopped being true is the, the point at which that session is over. Because I don't know, there's just something, there's there's something that just reaches out to me about, in, in the color purple specifically, like I have beauty things <laughs> in my personal life, right? In my life lives. And so like, you know, Celie didn't ever feel like she had anything, but she had a community. She had a group of people who loved her and were like, in her life. Spoiler warning for the color purple. If you haven't read it, this is that's your fucking fault. Uh the uh I said it. Uh but like there are people around her who loved her for who she was to them. And like I I feel like Celie, but I think a lot of people feel like Celie and and don't necessarily have the words for that. And so there was a you know, there was there was a there was a random Thursday night where I was in the window at Vine and Sunset crying in what what's not no longer borders. But crying real tears and sobbing and like, you know, associates had to come check on me. It was good. Oh. Well, I think Color Purple is one of the best books ever written. I think there's so much um, gravity in that book. And again, I can see it reflected in your writing. It's interesting, the books that I've read that you've mentioned, um, which I think the first one is one I haven't read. So now I want to go read it. Um, I, it's even interesting to hear like even Nick's cause I've read all of Nick's choices and um, it's wonderful to kind of hear. Cause like now that I read your work and 
also know you, like you can see how there's influences in what you're doing. So I think what I want to do to wrap this up, because I can, because we, we need to do that. I, I, I'm going to throw this at the group. I don't like what I wrote as a last question per se. Um, but since we're going to do this a couple more times, um, and Gabe, you're in the loop now, you're, you know, just so you know, um, and we're going to pair up again, um, in the near future and do this again. Um, and I love the conversation that we got out of this. Um, so LP wonderful idea, but I think I almost want to do that. Like almost like a writing excuses homework basically. And, and, and give listeners like, you know what I mean? Like, and just say, look, think about, I'm going to ask you guys, um, what should, when we're looking for these works, I guess, um, in our past or something that has really influenced us, what should we, is there anything that's going to tell us like, I, I, I can't figure out the way I, I really want to say, go out and find your own, your, you know, do your own creative research, first of all. But I also want to say something along the lines of what can we tell them to help guide them towards the ones that maybe they don't know their, that their work is being informed by. Does that make sense? I don't know if, yeah. if I'm even making sense. I, I, like, I sense. What, what can we say to the listeners to wrap this up, to help them make their own list essentially? I mean, I think it's a, it's a, it's a conversation about for me personally, uh, it was a conversation about thinking about, and I'm lucky because I didn't really read books until I was in my twenties. Um, and so, uh, while it's 20 years ago, like I can, <laughs> I can, I can actually think back to which are the books that made me like, Oh shit, this is, this is wild. This is, this is making me feel something. I didn't know that books were supposed to make you feel something. I understood television. I understood music. I didn't know that books were supposed to make you feel something. Um, uh, and they can do that when you don't read them begrudgingly. But if you go back to the books that you liked when you started reading in your genre or, um, market segment, you know, market segment can be, you know, cozy fantasy. It can be YA. It can be uh, thrillers. It can be erotica. But you just go back to the books that made you feel something in your market segment and figure it out. And look, here's the other part. Mimetic fiction is not my market segment, <laughs> mm. but these books just fucking do it for me. So it, it the the... The beauty of it, like people say, we read widely, you know, read nonfiction and read screenplays and read poems and read maybe whatever it takes. All it has to do is make you feel something. And then you you don't even have to figure out why it makes you feel something until it's over. If you're going to spend three months on a book, you don't need to know why at the beginning. You just have to know that you like it enough to get started with it. Yeah. And I think I would also say is make sure you're like thinking about what resonates to you that makes you want to read and write not what you're trying to have as comparables for querying mm -hmm. if um, you're starting that journey because those well, are like two that. different things you know you really just want to think about what really makes you want to read and also what makes you want to create and what's moved you what has really moved you yeah uh i'm gonna throw it to gabe but because we're gonna wrap up pretty quick but i want to throw it to you because you had your hand up but I also want to thank you for joining us on this. And you kind of didn't know what we were even kind of, kind of be talking about, I think when you came into this, yep. but you had your hand up. So, and I know we've had so many conversations about writing and stuff. So I would love to hear, hear your thoughts on this. Yeah. I mean, I just, I was thinking of a question that maybe it's also a small homework 
thinking back to when Nick talked about his mom, about how she gave him or facilitated the book, I would li like to, for listeners and you guys, to if there is someone like at the start of your reading journey that facilitated that, have, giving you a book, or even, even if it was forcing you to read a book, which at what point was my case. So, which really, it's, it's just this noble effect of who we are as writers and as people. Yeah. And if possible, like just this little homework of thinking of that person and just thanking them, because literally that might have started all that we are today. So if yeah. if possible, if if it is something that actually influenced us or we would like to do. So which uh, I, I would love I to gave, do. I I freaking love that. And in fact, I have a story for when it's my turn when someone then handed me a book. Um and I don't know where they are now, but um I have some ideas which you know. Uh Nick, you have anything to add before we wrap up? You did great. No, I mean, for me, the books I chose were pivotal moments in where I had a major shift in thought. Mm. And most of these books that I've mentioned, the uh, the first three are sick and adobo, but isn't. But the first three are when I was a reader and before I was a writer. Um, well, serious writer. So those still impact me to this day. And this has been Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. You can find us at justkeepwriting.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Feel free to reach out to any of us on our social medias, and please jump in our Just Keep Writing Discord channel. Links to all of that is in the show notes. Lastly, please support our show by going to patreon.com slash justkeepwriting. We offer daily writing prompts, early access to podcast episodes, and much more. Thanks for listening, and just keep writing.